how are you doing? The spring semester is ending. Classes are over. Exams and assessments and grading remain. No more gathering for the session, but the work is still going. And then we go right into Maymester, and summer one follows hot on Maymester's heels. It's at the ending of a long semester that bumps hard against the next that reminds me that academic years are wheels, endless cycles. We complete sessions, but another is waiting. For students, passing a class means that they move on to new topics as they head toward graduation or certification. But we, in teaching, continually revisit and refresh our specialties and focus. As stark as the deadlines are at the end of a session, how long does that ending last? Mid-career, true ends feel rare. Plenty of poetry and science explore how each season is new and singular, and yet it's always compared to previous seasons. This spring, a hard frost in March cost us a lot of the typical riotous blossom we usually see here in spring, but it's unfolded into more greens than we have language for. It's the same as always, but it's also the only time it's unfolded exactly this way. Each class is similarly unique and also predicted. We begin with our content and framework. Often, we've prepared this class many times before. But each class unfolds uniquely as the personalities who join us change things. The people in the class call for certain methods. The stress falls differently as the larger world changes and affects our lives. Our own interests develop, intensify, fall away, redirect us. Our gaze and focus is directed inward to our particular class and outward to our standards, our learning outcomes, what our students need to take with them at the class's end. Where are you right now? Will you draw breath before your next teaching semester? Plan? Dream a bit? Take stock? Or are you pouring forward into the next session like a spring flood, moving, ready or not? Welcome back to our ongoing exploration of the ecosystem of our teaching community here at Midlands Technical College in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm Claire Houle, your host. What do you teach? How do you teach it? How could we learn from each other? This is Instructional Ecology. I think often of the division of our gaze here at MTC. We look into the college and our teaching, and we look outward into the community to align our classes with who our students are and what they need. My guest, Janie Cronk, lives in this doubleness, often moving across the college's threshold, in and out. Janie is an architect who only recently joined our teaching community. She's mature in her first profession, but has a freshness of perspective in her teaching. In my conversation with her, I saw her very much at the threshold between the teaching community and the external community. She looks inward at the skills she's teaching her students and then outward at the community projects she connects students with. In our conversation, you hear us talk about a few projects that communities have come to MTC to seek help with, a beautification project and a healthcare project. You'll also hear her perspective on joining the college at the threshold of a pandemic and how she found community here right away that sustains her. In our conversation, here's yet another unique perspective on our flow with the larger community. 
Let's spend some time with architectural engineering. My name is Janie Kronk. I'm in the Engineering Technologies Department of the School of STEM. I've been teaching for two years and I've taught at Midlands Tech for all that time. The courses I typically teach are architectural drafting, building systems, architectural computer graphics, and cost estimating. The program is Architectural Engineering Technology, part of the Engineering Technologies Department in the School of STEM. Uh, architectural Engineering Technology is closely affiliated with the Civil Engineering Technology program as well. We have a lot of overlap between our classes, but a different overall focus. As far as what the program offers to students, they learn about building design, they learn about building materials and systems, the technical aspects of drawing both manually and um, with computer aided drafting. They learn about regulations and also the process of building getting constructed, uh, focusing more on kind of soft skills and the relationship between the owner, the contractor, and the architect um, and kind of how that process works. Just a couple of days ago, I interviewed someone who's been teaching for almost 50 years. And so they had a very particular, a very idiosyncratic path. Um, and it's fantastic to have you as well, you know, who has reached here by a different path and you're just sort of starting out. So very much appreciate that. I would love to begin at the beginning, which for you is very recently. What, what you were working in the community, what was the kind of work you were doing and how did you end up joining a community of instruction? I worked at a local firm, Quackamish Architects and Planners, for about 13 years before starting at Midlands Tech. I was aware of the college first because uh, they were a uh, very important client of the firm that I worked for. From the very beginning, coming into the office, had seen projects in the works for them. Then throughout my time with the firm, got to work on projects for Midlands Tech as well, including the engineering technology and science building on the Northeast campus uh, where I now teach. And through the process of doing the, that building, I became acquainted with the instructor for the architectural engineering technology program, Christy Buchanan. Uh, a few of us came in and talked to her class a few times and I just loved what I saw in the classroom and like what she was doing with her classes. And it brought back this desire I had always had, interest I had had in teaching. Um, back when I was a student at Ohio State, that is originally what I kind of aspired to before ending up in practice. Something about the um, college atmosphere and the architecture programs is kind of so alive with ideas and creativity. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of that ivory tower where it's uh, a little bit aspirational, yes, but sometimes to a point that it's uh, a little bit feels divorced from practicality. So for me, the technical college was kind of that sweet spot in between that aspirational idealism, the creativity and the latitude to kind of do anything that you do in school projects, but also um, kind of uh, focused in on, you know, what's relevant to the career, re relevant to the community, and so forth. So you just said that you were so electrified by this creativity that was going on in the classroom. 
creativity is such an interesting word. We have so many different disciplines at this college. And it makes me think that, you know, creativity looks very different if you're in art, if you're, you know, if you're in something that's um, like art or writing. Um, but there are so many other ways. What does creativity look like in an architectural engineering classroom? You're right. Creativity can be a lot of things. Architecture is kind of at the intersection of engineering and art. So there's, um, and I think both of those things can be creative in different ways. Um, kind of the thing I tend to think about when I think about creativity and art is kind of, you know, making a statement, communicating some sort of um, abstract idea and that can definitely be part of creativity and architecture. You're kind of taking different parts and different known quantities uh, from a project, things you know about the client, about the place where it's coming from, about the building materials. And so you have all these pieces but then it kind of becomes a um, almost like a puzzle solving process except it's not a puzzle that has one right answer. So that I think is where the creativity comes into play because um, you're making something that is very practical, but there's not just one way to get there. So there's a lot of um, divergent trains of thought and divergent paths that can kind of lead you to satisfactory solutions. Do you find that your students tend to assume that there's one right way and are concerned that they should find it? Or do you find that very quickly they say, okay, well, we're all going to have some slightly different solutions to these things. So I think a lot of people do come in with that idea that there is a right way and I'm going to do it right or I'm going to do it wrong. Um, they don't see so much the nuance of the gray area of like um, that you can have lots of different solutions or you can have lots of projects that are good in different ways. So, well, you know, one person may have beautiful drafting skills and, you know, beautiful drawings that they've produced, like an excellent handle on the craft of that. Other people are maybe better with kind of, you know, the abstract thinking and kind of generating a bunch of different ideas, or some people are better at the soft skills and the team leadership. And so there's lots of different skill sets involved. And, um, it takes time to realize that, um, that you can kind of like find a niche for yourself. They do want a lot of um, direction. Like they're afraid of kind of straying off the path of like what you've asked them to do. So, um, you know, as an architect and knowing that this is creative, sometimes I want to leave the assignments quite open-ended. And I think that intimidates a lot of people because they think they're going to do it wrong. Right. And and what are the stakes that they're worried about in addition to their grades? Obviously, grades always being one of the highest stakes. What are the stakes in your profession about mistakes? In the classroom or in the actual profession? In the actual profession that they're training for. I'm not sure that they are thinking about it in terms of, or at least not consciously thinking about it in terms of the stakes being similar to what's in the profession, but I think there is probably like, you know, the feeling of possibly losing face if um, if your project is not up to par, I think is a lot of the intimidation. I'm thinking now about um, when they give 
presentations. Some people are very reluctant to give presentations. And I'm sure not just in architecture, but with, you know, everything that's kind of a collaborative discipline where you're working with other people as a team in an office and then going out and working with clients. If not an outright presentation, it's kind of a leadership and communication and talking about the project. And a lot of people are reluctant to do that. And I wonder if to that is something they kind of, you know, fear not not doing the right way, that they don't have the right handle on how to how to give those presentations. As in many of our teaching disciplines, uh, worrying about presentations is always, it sort of springs eternal, right? Um, you know, I know that you you are much newer to teaching than you are to professional life outside of there. So where in your thinking are you about how to uh, help them succeed at presentations? Well, first and foremost, I guess just um, giving them practice and ample opportunity to do it in what's a fairly low stakes environment. Um, in the one of the classes I have now, we have their big presentation towards the end, but I've structured in before that, um, I think three other instances where they will put up and present their progress. And so I've told them that like in terms of grades, you know, as long as you show up, put something on the wall and talk about it, you're going to get the grade. That's all that is involved um, for the grade. So that alleviates the need to worry about that. But it also, gets them to a step outside the classroom step outside their own project um, take a look at what everyone else is working on and then trying to get them to talk about it with each other Um, and uh, because that also not just being able to present the work but to respond to the presentation and turn it into a dialogue i think is important right now what we're working on is just you know simple stuff like you know, being able to show up and give the presentation, um, trying to get them to face the audience when they're talking. Uh, When you have drawings on the wall, there's a great tendency to want to kind of turn your back on everyone and talk to your work instead of talking to the people about your work. Because they've been reluctant to give each other feedback in these opportunities, other than kind of a softball, oh, I like it, it looks good, I like this or that, Um, And I've given them kind of a checklist um, because I told them you need to be able to look at each other's work, identify the things, you know, in your own work and in other people's work that um, A, what's working and also what can be improved. Um, So I've given them uh, a list to kind of help guide them if they're not used to kind of looking at someone else's stuff critically and determining what's good and bad. I've given them a list that can kind of coach them through that. And they're working through a peer review exercise today with the hopes that when we get to our next practice presentation, they can give each other a little bit more detailed feedback than simply saying, I like that, that looks good. I think that sometimes ironically, uh, some of the hardest feedback to use is, it's great, it's good, right? Um, and, but, you know, obviously you can neither say that or it stinks, you know, that, that, that's just, that's just as hard. So what do you get, what are some tools you give them to go beyond good, bad, yes, no? Well, what I gave them today, um, in the, in the general instructions, I reminded them 
that they're not critiquing the person. They're not even critiquing the person's abilities because we don't know what factors came into play as they were doing this project that they got slammed on their schedule, didn't have enough time to work on it. Perhaps they are um, newer to the process and these types of skills than other people are. Everybody's at a different place in that journey. I asked them to give three positives, three things that are working and three things that uh, can be improved upon. And then if that was a little too open-ended for them, they have a worksheet they can go off of that kind of takes them step-by-step step through things that, like things I would be looking at as I were grading. Um, you know, is it complete? Here are all the um, items I was expected. So if something is missing, that's a good thing to comment on. And then starting to get into more details, like, um, you know, do the stairs meet the dimensional requirements? Here are the dimensional requirements. Does it, do they all meet? Uh, do the plans and the elevations all go together? Do all the drawings match up or do they look like they're coming from different buildings? Are the lines straight? Are there gaps at the corners? So just all these kinds of different things from the macro down to the micro that I might be looking at and looking for. Say for example, like I wouldn't want to tell a student just this drawing looks sloppy. I would want to be able to tell them something more specific that they could work on. Like it looks like your equipment wasn't square to the table, it looks like your pencil wasn't sharp, your corners don't match, or it's crooked, like something specific that they can work on. Something they can actually do. That makes me think um, of that same intersection between creativity and practicality. You know, that you said this is sort of, you know, sort of what the profession is. Um, and I know you had, there's this really great moment you had where a student was looking at something really unusual and said to you, how would I do this? How would I build this? I'd love for you to, to talk about what he was looking at and, and what you saw in him happen and then what you were able to, to do for him. One class where we kind of go through the basics of like, here's the tools, and then there's a more advanced class where we work at putting those into practice. So it's not just a step-by-step follow along and you'll come out with this result, but they're trying to apply these tools to projects of their own, ideas of their own. So this was a project that the student was actually doing for another class and he found an image online of, um, I believe it was a restaurant, but it had this crazy facade where there were these kind of barrel shaped cylindrical openings kind of like hanging out of a glass enclosure. and. In terms of what we had done so far with the software, we had been working very much with rectangular, orthogonal, straight walls, very um, traditional kind of forms. So he was almost ready to dismiss it because of um, the not knowing how to build it. And then he thought to ask, he said, can we build this? And I said, yeah, we can build that. And let me show you how. And I had to kind of like think through it too uh, with them, but, um, it was gratifying to me. I always feel good when I'm able to answer a question for a student, um, because first of all, I've been able to put someone in contact with some knowledge that they need to get what they need to do done. And also it kind of, um, reinforces for me things that I myself have learned kind of along the way. 
um, and being able to think about those things in a new way, put them into practice in a new way. Um, so for, um, for that student, I think it's just, um, a matter of like building up those instances where you're able to kind of take a simple tool that you've learned and, and then learn to kind of start expanding on that and applying it to new situations um, to kind of uh, not just ingrain that knowledge because software is always changing, you know, in five, 10 years, it may be a different software, different tools, but um, it's, I think laying a foundation of kind of a way of uh, troubleshooting and thinking about how to create those items in the virtual world as well as in the in the real world. Something you also mentioned there's the specific uh, components to your craft, you know, to to the actual building of things, but also you mentioned how important critical thinking is to your, your students, um, which is success in, in college. I'd love to hear about how you, um, how you teach critical thinking in the class, like you know, the benefit that you see it bring to students in your particular classes, and, and how do you build that into your teaching? The critical thinking is a big piece because with anything we're working on, um, whether it's the code regulations or whether it's building products and materials, all these things are constantly advancing and changing. And so in education, it's not that you're just filling up your head with a you know, certain number of rules and facts and best practices, and that's going to do you for the rest of your career. Uh, so what you really need to know is not you know, memorizing all these things as they are now, but understanding where to go for certain types of information, how to understand and apply that information, manipulate it and use it for um, new kinds of settings. So uh, for that reason, um, a lot of times in our classes, we even kind of structure our tests not as exercises in memory, but as exercises in applying knowledge. So, you know, we'll have a test be open book because we want it to be similar to what you would be doing in practice, which is going to be using those reference materials and applying them to specific situations to solve problems. In my building systems class, uh, we learn about different building materials and I would sometimes have them do readings of product information or readings of articles about different building products. And one day I had them read a, an article about a white paper about um, wood, about using wood and why wood was not that great for the environment. You know, had a huge carbon footprint, lots of waste, um, all the different drawbacks of using wood. And so after they read this, one of the questions I asked them about um, was, you know, what they, what they thought of the validity of the paper, if they thought this was a good source. And everyone said yes. And when I asked them why, they would give examples like uh, it had references cited at the end, it had a lot of charts and graphs, uh, it seemed very specific, like they knew what they were talking about. 
And all of these things were true. It was a well-researched paper with lots of specific technical data. Um, and then I asked them, well, who wrote the paper? And they looked to the front and the answer was the American Steel Institute. And at that point, it clicked for a couple students and they said, ah, because, um, you know, of course, the American Steel Institute would rather you use uh, steel than wood. That doesn't mean that it was bad information that they were giving or that it was not factual or that it was not well researched. But I did want them to be aware of, you know, just kind of the spin that could be put on things that we see a lot in the profession. We rely a lot on salespeople to educate us about products that are available. Sales reps are great, but, um, you know, you also have to be aware of um, kind of that spin that's on there and understand that, of course, you know, everyone is going to see their, the benefits of their own product um, above others. Um, with the increased um, focus on sustainability in the profession, uh, there is a tendency for everything, um, for greenwashing to happen. So, um, you know, every product will put a spin on why their product is the most environmentally friendly. So, you know, someone selling wood will tell you why wood is preferable to steel. Someone selling steel will tell you why steel is preferable to wood. It's not that one is lying. It's just that you're getting pieces of information and there are, there's a larger set of information out there. Do you ever wonder or, or think about how uh, lessons in your class might help them in other classes? Are there skills that you're teaching that they could generalize into other places of their education? On a more localized level in our uh, AET courses, we as instructors work together to try to combine what we're doing in the different classes. Like if I'm teaching a software class and um, my colleague is teaching a design class, we try to coordinate so that the software exercises and the three-dimensional models and images that they're developing in my class can be used in her class. So we try to find opportunities like that so that we can illustrate to them that, you know, that all these classes, these aren't like different things that like, you know, one day you'll be doing software, one day you'll be doing design, but that it's all part of the same same thing. All these different skills are needed to work on a project. So we try to find ways to kind of cross between the different classes. I also last semester for the first time got to teach one of the um, COL 101 courses uh, for students coming into the college. Um, so that has been interesting for me in terms of kind of thinking on a more global level about how things can cross over from class to class because in there we talk about um, time management and metacognition and engagement and time management, all, all different sorts of things. So I've been um, in just kind of the initial stages, but starting to think about how that can transfer over to my um, architecture classes. And when we start incorporating those sorts of components, um, I guess it's the same as I was talking about with the software where you, you learn a skill and then you apply it to a different situation. So, um, and I guess giving more and more opportunities to practice those things are the kind of things that can kind of spill over to 
any class regardless of the topic. I know that um, you you were actually thinking about um, putting more time management components into one of your classes that has a large project. Um, uh, oftentimes, you know, students in general um, can sometimes struggle with time management, and when they have very large or long projects, things can get a little dicey. I'd love to just hear your thinking about, you know, what brought you to this moment of saying, you know, there's there's something else that we could do that would support them. And so maybe talk about what the project is and how you're thinking about doing it and what you think you'll end up putting in your class for time management. So what I have done in my architectural drafting class, they have um, a large project in here. They work with, um, they team up in the class. One person's an architect, one person's a client. This is based on a model that my uh, colleague, Christy Buchanan, has been doing this for 20 years here, um, has come up with. It works really well because it gets them kind of acquainted with each other in an early class um, to kind of build community and also um, teaches them kind of about that teamwork aspect. But um, with this project, they have to not only design the house, but also draw it by hand. We don't start them on the computer. We start them... Uh, manually uh, learning to draw on a drafting table with um, traditional instruments so that they can learn uh, certain foundational skills. And it takes a long time. Uh, not that drawing on a computer doesn't take a long time, but I think that um, it's easy for someone that has not spent a lot of time doing this sort of thing to underestimate the amount of time it takes uh, to draw these things. And when I was in college, I learned it um, with, you know, first assignment being up till five in the morning, trying to find a way to use my T-square in the laundry room of my dorm. But this isn't the way that I want my students to learn it, because we know we have a lot of people that work, a lot of parents. Um, I don't want to expect people to pull all-nighters um, for these classes. Uh, so um, as we go through, um, you know, a lot of the students are surprised at the amount of time it takes. It started to become apparent for the deadline on this first project that everyone wasn't going to um, complete it time. I toyed with the notion of extending the deadline to give them a little more time. And then I thought, no, we're just going to keep it and we're going to just everybody's going to do the best they can. So we talked a little bit about um, prioritizing the fact that um, they may not get done and that, you know, a lot of times this happens in the real world too. You don't have time to do everything you hoped for. So you have to kind of think about the time you do have and strategically plan and pick the most important things to give the best result for your project. So they did that and then, um, you know, not everybody finished. Um, some people elected to spend more time on fewer drawings. Some people did more drawings to a less developed level. But um, afterwards, I did have everyone do a self-assessment where um, they reflected on different parts of the project. And one of the questions was how many hours they had spent on uh, what they did. So now they have a benchmark going forward into the second project uh, to base what they base their workload off of. So um, now we're getting ready into the push time where they're trying to wrap up the final project. So what I had them do was to kind of go back to that original number 
think about what they had for that project versus this project and each item that they had to complete for the second project and um, to kind of uh, plan out how much time they were going to need and kind of what the, that average was per week and whether that fits into their schedule. Um, and I was also able to relate that back to, um, we try to think of this class as introducing them to the profession too. So this was an opportunity to kind of talk to them about project management and how if you're in a firm, you know, you don't just kind of start working on something willy nilly and go until you're done. Someone has to sit down at the beginning of every project and plan down, you know, who's gonna work on it, how many hours on what thing, um, for the duration of the project and a project can last a year or more uh, so it's um, quite a bit of planning that goes into it. You know you mentioned a minute ago that you taught CUL which is a new 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 thing that we're doing here at MTC. I'd love to hear about what that was like for you as an instructor for them as the the students um, just kind of get out into the community what your experience was. It was interesting to me because I had a group of students that came from the School of STEM, but not necessarily from engineering technologies. I think I had two of my students and a class of 26. So I got to learn through the students about different majors and different career paths that are offered through the school. And through the process of going through uh, the modules with them, I, as a new employee, um, relatively new employee, I got to become a little more familiar with particularly the online resources and things that are out there that students may need, um, which is helpful not just to the COL class, but now I can tell my own class about those things too when the need arises. So um, I feel like it was really kind of an educational experience for me going through it this first time. Um, I hope that um, I was able to put the students in touch with some resources they needed along the way as well. It was interesting and I, I'm going to do it again in, um, in the spring. So I look forward to kind of um, giving it another try and trying to improve on um, uh, what we did the, the first time through. But I really like the content. I wish I had known this when I was in college myself. Um, because I was a very much a kind of a couldn't see the forest for the trees sort of person. So I always had a hard time with certain things feeling like perfectionism or trying to read everything in the textbook and missing, missing the overall. So the community comes to us for education training and then they go back out and do various things. But I know that in your classes, you're actually already going out into the community. I know that your your classes are actually engaged in community projects. Um, in particular, one called uh, the Clinic in the Can. Uh, can you tell us about the Somerton Clinic in the Can project? What what does that even mean? And how is your how are you how is your class coming in and out of the community and and being in this relationship with the with that with Somerton? This is a project that is headed up by uh, Christy Buchanan. Uh, she's been faculty here for, I believe, 20 years. But um, this started um, during the pandemic uh, a little over a year ago. We were approached by a gentleman with the town of Somerton named Cedric LaCour. 
who had noticed a need in his community for health care. So there were people he was noticing that were either um, not insured or people that lacked access to transportation to get to uh, the ordinary clinic and um, get their medical care. So he was familiar, did some research, and came across this project called Clinic in a Can and wanted to do a version of that for the town of Somerton. So what this is, is a um, where you take a shipping container that fits on the back of a truck, uh, upfit it according to the needs of the medical clinic, and then instead of people coming to the clinic, the clinic can be taken around to the people, to strategic sites where people can come visit. So um, Mr. LaCour approached us about our students uh, designing some prototypes. Um, so Christie's class has done that uh, for two semesters now. We've had two different class groups go through this project. So now they're able to use those um, renderings and images produced by the classes to kind of uh, get some media press, develop excitement about the project, put together grants for funding to move forward with that. Um, they have called, Somerton's version is being called the Cross My Heart Mobile Medical Clinic. And the students are helping to troubleshoot um, various issues that come into play with the clinic. Um, like, uh, you know, does it get loaded and unloaded from a trailer or does it stay on the trailer, which makes transportation easier, but then you have to provide ramped access for people to be able to get in and out. Um, what to do about the bathrooms? Um, is there a bathroom that's a part of the assembly that gets towed around? Um, do you bring in a supplemental uh, mobile bathroom or do you just uh, ensure that part of your plan is to always park uh, where there's a public bathroom available, maybe at a school or a church parking lot or some other sort of community building. Um, they've also kind of looked into various modes of transporting equipment, materials, so they're looking into all of that with uh, Christie's class. and. They actually expanded it. Um, she expanded it for her class and asked them to do two uh, containers as part of their design, one focused on physical health and one focused on mental health. So even though the Somerton project uh, that Mr. LaCour was working on right now is currently focused on one shipping container as a clinic, this kind of gives them even more uh, ideas and options to draw from moving forward that they can uh, kind of look into and imagine. So let me understand some more specifics. So when we say a can, you literally mean a, a can. So what is the concept here? So if it's a clinic, it's, I mean, usually we have like what, a traditional building with plumbing and all of those things. Well, but the idea here is to actually do it in what kind of container and, and what does this teach the students to have to work with? Um, they are using a 20 foot shipping container. So like we go on the back of a semi truck um, hauling cargo. Um, we actually at the school, we have a practice container. A used container was donated 
to us at the college um, for the students to kind of go in, um, measure, get a like actual sense from being in the space of how big it is and tape off different layouts, things that may work. Um, so that's what Christie's class is doing with it. Um, I've also had um, other classes that I have use it um, in intro drawing classes to teach them how to measure and draw existing objects because it's kind of small and easy to comprehend. Um, I've had a class use it as a basis for a study on solar orientation. Um, so it's been neat to have this kind of little uh, this shipping container that we use as like a little mini building and basis for projects on on the site and it is a really small space so that's like a, that's another thing that um christy's classes had to think about is um how to insulate that container because um ideally you would have that on uh, the inside for protection but um anything you add to the inside is diminishing that already very small dimension that eight foot. So they've looked at some other creative solutions there. Well, that comes back to the idea of creativity. Well, what does it mean to the students to actually be able to, to interact with the, because you could just give them all the specs, right? For the shipping container. What makes the difference about the fact that they can walk in it and, and touch it and, and encounter it? Um, so the big thing is, that you, you can have the specs and you can have the dimensions, you can model it in the computer, you can draw it down, but until you actually walk in there and feel it, you don't understand the dimensions of the space you're actually dealing with. So, um, for example, I think some students kind of go in, they'll kind of have a plan that like, oh, it fits on paper, I can make this fit next to this, fit next to this. But then once they walk in, they see, no, this is really small and think about the actual comfort of being able to uh, move around and, and do things within that space. So, and, and so what does this, you know, you, you said to me that, you know, the community member came to the college uh, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm really interested that, you know, that, that someone would sort of come in here. This isn't the only project that you all have too, going with other communities to do with, with architectural engineering. There's another one, I believe, that you have going on at least. Can you talk about some other things that the community is involved with? Yeah, um, so right now, currently, um, another project that we have, um, we were approached by um, the Casey Quarry, Martin Marietta, um, who have a quarry in Casey, um, and they are interested in redesigning their entrance because there's a lot of beautification initiatives going on in the um, city of Casey, um, kind of dressing up the street presence. A lot of the buildings are having uh, murals added or little park-like spaces. So they came to us, they're not quite sure what they wanna do, but they're interested in kind of dressing up um, the entrance of their quarry and they were interested in involving our students and having a um, little design competition with an associated scholarship. Because the scope of this was dealing with kind of uh, outdoor elements and an entry, not with a, a full building, this seemed like a great project for our building systems class where the students initially learn about building materials and how they go together. So 
because there weren't a lot of preconceptions about what this uh, project was going to be, uh, we left it a little bit open into the students. They went out, looked around, took pictures, met with the um, people from Martin Marietta, and then um, I asked them to bring back some ideas. And I wasn't sure what I was expecting, maybe like, I don't know, 12 variations on a new gate or fence, but they actually came up with some stuff I was not expecting. There's an empty lot next door also, so um, we have everything from like creating a picnic area for the workers that work there to um, sort of um, kind of display um, elements that talk about like the history of the quarry and the community to all sorts of different things. Um, that um, was really kind of neat to see the way they they thought about it and and engaged with coming up with ideas kind of out of nothing. Um, so they're going to uh, develop and put together a presentation to give to Martin Marietta. And then for me and my class, they're also going to do a report that dives more into the technical details of what they're proposing and what materials they would need to get and how this would actually be executed if it were a real project. You know, talking to you, um, I see so much as, you know, you have, you're constantly looking into the College to Instruction, but also constantly looking out to the community as people come in with ideas. And that's, I, I feel like our classrooms are on sliding scales. Right, some classrooms are, are very have to focus very intensely on, you know, what's happening inside of instruction, and then some are constantly looking to, okay, how are we applying all of these things? But I see you as a real nexus. You're constantly standing right in right at that doorway between the two. Is that how you see yourself? How do you, how do you see your role as a Midlands Tech instructor in relationship to the community? I guess I do see it that way, kind of like in between, because I'm thinking of even things like um, meeting with our advisory committee and um, kind of uh, keeping those contacts open uh, with them. Um, we'd like to meet with the advisory committee every year to kind of get a pulse on what's happening in the industry, because we want to make sure we're preparing people for what, you know, not just what things were like, what I remember, what... Um, you know, my colleagues remember, but like things are constantly changing. So we want to keep them prepared. And then, um, you know, we'd like to, you know, sometimes we get uh, contacted by people that are looking for interns or we have students that are getting ready to graduate and go out in the field and we may have contacts, you know, we may see a good fit between, you know, someone we know, um, in the college and someone we know outside the college. Um, so also with the advisory committee, uh, we are doing a few things following up with them this year that kind of connects that uh, community aspect with the instruction that we're doing. Uh, we just had last week um, a couple members of our advisory committee came in. We had um, an architect and a contractor because we have students that go into both sides of things. So we had an architect and a contractor come together and talk about um, the design and construction process and what it means to work together to get a project done. So not just what is it like to be an architect or what is it like to be a contractor, but how do we work together? 
because that'll be a huge part of, you know, regardless of which direction you end up going with it, that's going to be a huge part of what you end up doing. Um, and it also introduces the students to a couple people they know outside the school that they can, um, you know, possibly have contact or know or network through in the future. Um, we also are talking about maybe doing a very small kind of informal career fair with members of our advisory committee and our students in the spring where we just do something kind of small and informal in the courtyard for that networking opportunity. Well, uh, we've talked about, you know, the, the larger community, you know, external to Midlands Tech, but you're now also part of a teaching community, um, which, you know, you're entering in very deliberately, you know, as, as you transition into becoming an instructor. And that's very recent for you. So everything is very fresh. Um, I would love to hear about um, the significance of having a faculty community. How have you stepped into it? How, what have you found that's really useful to you? What, what is it like to be part of our community here of instruction? It's, uh, it's been really great. I was an adjunct for about a year before I came on full-time. When I did come on full-time, it was during the pandemic. Uh, so it was, um, it's been good to have the, um, the other faculty uh, to learn from during that time. I've had, um, I'll, I'll talk about those two different ways. One in terms of the engineering department, um, which uh, has been great being on campus and having you know other people around to kind of learn from what their experiences have been and um, you know how they've handled things in different classes and ideas for projects and kind of um, that's been um, really good. Um, and then I've also um, gotten to participate in the new faculty learning community and the um, uh, another faculty learning community in preparation for teaching the COL course. And um, I really enjoyed those as well because coming from industry, um, you know, I feel pretty good that I have like past experience I can share with students from like a practical standpoint, but I don't have that teaching background. So um, the faculty learning communities have been great. Um, by no means do you go in and out and say, okay, now I'm an expert, but it's just introduced me to all these different concepts and different things to think about in terms of teaching that have kind of made it feel less trial and error and more something that I can kind of um, see a structure to kind of build upon and improve upon and, and grow on the teaching side as well. So I think that's a, a really great thing that Minimalist Tech does that kind of has made me feel more oriented and more comfortable in the position um, and been interesting to get to know faculty from other departments as well other than my own. What's something that, that came out of maybe the NFLC or something that you can really point to and say that was really helpful or, or really um, perspective changing, something that stood out to you from the NFLC as a new instructor that you felt was significant? I think the notions of talking about engagement and building a community have been interesting to me. 
my personality by default, I'm very introverted. And so I think before the NFLC, I kind of in my head thought that like, you know, maybe the community building just happens or, you know, do I have to kind of go in there and be this personality to get, you know, to get a certain kind of engagement. Um, but talking about the engagement and the community building and the NFLC and things you can do to kind of get students interfacing with each other and kind of connecting with different personality types, different ways of connecting. That has been, I think, good for me in, in terms of like realizing that it's not, it's not that I'm expected to get up there and do a little song and dance. There are these other tools that we can use um, to kind of more genuinely um, kind of build on the students relationships with each other and um, let the let that community grow um, within them themselves I also came on just as we were doing our ABET review and then our program review so I had all this new information about assessment and rubrics and matrices and all this uh, stuff kind of swimming around in my head and then in the NFLC, one thing I remember just being like magical <laughs> for me was understanding that like grades and assessment are not the same thing. And that just kind of like opened up my mind a lot in terms of like helping the students, measuring the projects, refining the course and what those objectives are because it just helps me to see those two things separately. Well, thinking, you know, as, as, as you, you know, relish the thought of, you know, going further and, and doing more, um, what are some aspects of teaching that you're looking forward to exploring within our community? You know, that you know that you've got um, a whole community of people that are at all different stages of teaching. What are some things you're really interested in kind of digging down into as you keep going? I'm really interested right now, I think as a lot of people are in issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the classroom. And uh, Minimalist Tech has had some uh, chats about that online for people to come into. I did a webinar offered through Cengage the other day. So I think um, just kind of like thinking about our classrooms and the wide range of students we have and how you know everyone's kind of in their own situation um, I mentioned before we have you know parents we have some people that are back for second careers all sorts of different responsibilities in their lives different stages in their lives one of the things that specifically interested me in the webinar I just attended was talking about textbooks and how you know you could have one textbook written from one person's perspective or you could have 10 articles from 10 different people's perspectives. You know, different ways of looking at that source material for your class. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a textbook. And that was kind of interesting to me, um, particularly for classes where our textbooks maybe aren't as heavily used as like, how can that be kind of maybe broken open a little bit and pulling in kind of different views and different perspectives along with that, stuff that's freely available through open educational resources or through the library um, that you're also eliminating a cost for the students which can help to remove a barrier for for some 
I hope you'll visit our webpage for this episode so you can have a look at the Clinic in a Can program that Jenny talks about. Like her students, you'll find that seeing the space that clinics make use of is fascinating and highly functional. There are also resources based on her work with her students that you can adapt for your purposes. Janie also talks about her new faculty learning community that offered her so much during her first year teaching with us. And she also talks about teaching our new college CUL course. Your CTE offers faculty learning communities year-round, and we support the teaching of new CUL classes. If you'd like to explore these opportunities, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about what you're teaching and what you'd like your future classes to look like. I hope you'll join us for the next episode, further into the year, closer to summer, and further into the web of our community.